I know of nothing else like it in the human experience that can unify a group of people faster than that first breath and then starting to sing. It's unbelievable how it, everybody locks in that moment. And to me, that speaks to the best of what we can be as a society, as a group of humans. I find it so beautiful and magical. There's something about the magic of a group of singers singing together where it creates a complexity of, of human intention that is unparalleled, I think. Hi there, and welcome to This Is Why We Sing, a podcast with me, James Sills, all about the transformative power of singing. I'm a musician, a singing leader, and an author, and I'm convinced that singing can help us to lead happier, healthier, and more fulfilling lives. And so, on this podcast, I've invited people, not just from the singing world, but also authors, and psychologists to help explain why singing is so good for us and why it's an important part of our humanity. Now today's guest knows all about this. He is Grammy award-winning composer Eric Whittaker. Now Eric's music is beloved by singers from around the world and it's a real balm for the soul. He knows all about the power of singing together, both in person but also virtually, because back in 2010, Eric founded and recorded the world's first ever virtual choir video. So he is a true pioneer, because for the last year, virtual choir videos have been the only way for people to bring their voices together whilst in lockdown. And so we talk about that in this conversation. We also go outside the realms of choral music and discuss Eric's love for the musical Hamilton and for songwriters such as Joni Mitchell, and Stevie Wonder. Eric isn't just a composer and a musician, he's a real humanitarian, and I think this comes across beautifully in the conversation. This was recorded in early 2021 with myself in North Wales and Eric at home in LA. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thank you so much, James. The first question I'm going to ask you is what song or what piece of music is in your head right now? Oof. Well, so I'll, I'll tell you, um, there's a musical called Hamilton. I don't know if you're familiar with Hamilton. I, yes. My obsession started, I guess, five years ago, whenever, when it was first released. And it got so bad, honestly, that I had to stop listening to Hamilton because it's got some of the catchiest melodies I've I know in it so catchy that they actually ruin my sleep. You know, those earworms that just play over and over and over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. And so, but just this last week, um, I've got a four month old baby and I've been taking these long, long walks to try to get him to sleep in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And I've started listening to Hamilton again because it's the perfect two hour, uh, you know, walking time. Loop. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so now I'm just, my head and my heart is full of Hamilton. It's so good. So You've layered back and to it. interesting and, and, yeah, and it's it's something that has been so critically acclaimed, but also just, you know, it's just so popular. It's kind of reached that sweet spot that I think every artist yeah. is aiming for, you know, that kind of popular and critical acclaim. And it's also now the soundtrack to your two-hour baby walks around the streets <laughs> yeah. of LA. Yeah, that's how I'll always remember it. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Next time I listen to it, I'll think of you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, think of me uh, uh, happy but bleary-eyed. <laughs> um, so... I'm really interested in people's singing journeys. And for many people, there's often a pivotal moment where they stop singing. And I'm sure you come across this all the time, often in childhood or later teen years where 
a comment here or whatever turns people off singing for life. And so part of my mission is to try and undo some of that work. But I know for you, Eric, the reverse was true. There was a eureka moment where you were completely turned on to singing in the world of choral singing. Could you tell me a little bit about that, please? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there was truly a eureka moment. So I grew up in a, in a small town, really a farming town in northern Nevada, which is next to California, high desert. I mean, nobody, nobody lives up there. And I had no exposure to classical music. My grandmother would take us into, into Reno, which was the big city, once, once a year, and we would see the Nutcracker. And I was obsessed with movies, so John Williams and, and Jerry Goldsmith, those scores. That's, that's the only classical music I knew. And when I turned 18, I went to university at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And it was just a big state school in Nevada. And uh, the choir director there convinced me to join choir, really reluctantly. I'd seen choir in high school and there was just no way I was gonna do this. And the very first day of, that I began rehearsing with the choir, we sang, we started rehearsing the Requiem by Mozart. Mm. And that was it. I had never experienced anything like that. It's, um, it's, it's beyond a transformative moment for me. It was an awakening that I look back at it now and I think it's the first time that I truly felt part of something larger than myself. Yeah. I'm and it was as if somebody were saying my real name, not Eric, but my true name. And one 50 minute rehearsal later I left and I was the world's biggest choir geek and I remain the world's biggest choir geek. I just, I know all singers, at least all choral singers have that piece that transforms them. Sure. And, and that moment was for me an awakening. And up to this moment, I'm right in thinking that like you say, classical music hadn't really been on the radar and, you know, you were kind of playing synths in a... In a pop like band. A, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. So, that, I mean, that, that's kind of a, quite a radical shift. Um, what, what in particular, kind of musically, sonically, was it about that 50-minute rehearsal that, that really changed your life? I'll tell you something interesting. I only put this together recently, and not to get too far into the musical weeds, but... In high school, as you say, I was in a pop band, and, and this is the 80s, right? So it's all techno-pop and so drum machines and synthesizers. And the way especially then that you, would, that you would compose pop music is track by track, layer by layer, right? So you might put mm -hmm. in a synth line, and then under that you put a bass line, and under that you put drums. It's kind of this, this additive way of composing. And the very first part of the Mozart Requiem that I sang was the fugue, which is the Kyrie. And a, a Kyrie is in a way the next level of that. It's not just additive, it's the lines are weaving and dancing mm -hmm. with each other. It's counterpoint, but counterpoint at the highest sure. possible level. And that's what I remember musically happening was just, my God, I didn't realize that kind of complexity was possible. And, and mm. anybody who's sung in a choir knows that you also get the benefit of experiencing all of that in three dimensions, right? It's happening around you. The instrument is human beings and you feel it in your body. You feel the lines move through you and around you. And so it, it couldn't have been a better introduction to this right. much deeper concept of counterpoint. Yeah, and music in general, I guess. And music in general, yeah. that's right. And, and also, yeah. you know, I've, I've always been a fan of, of 
of the great songwriters. So the Beatles and Stevie Wonder and Paul Simon and Joni Mitchell and- Oh, hello. Right? <laughs> yeah. And what I love about all of them, especially in their lyrics, is that they, they really reach for the higher fruit. It's not just pop songs, it's not just fluff. They're actually, all right, let's pick apart the, this, the human mystery, mm, uh, or the, yeah, you know, the right. mysteries of the human experience. And it had, I hadn't then experienced this, like, it's not just the, the Mozart Requiem is amazing musically. It's also dealing with, with the tragedy and the fear and the wonder and the, uh, the mystery of death and passing. And, and that's another thing about classical music is that often it really reaches for those big human themes. Mm-hmm. And that, that was also an awakening for me. I grew up a real uh, liter- literature kid. Mm-hmm. My grandmother was a librarian and was constantly giving me books. And so in literature and poetry, you're always, you know, trading in that currency. And this was the first time exactly. I heard music do that kind of thing. I want to say congratulations, Eric, on 10 years of virtual choir. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, um, my God. It's, it kind of feels like I'm speaking to Einstein or the guy who <laughs> invented the internet or something, you know, uh. <laughs> in that you are the founder of the virtual choir. And if we just talk about the first one, because... Um, it was not born out of uh, necessity, as you know, thousands of choirs around the world ha- have been, you know, doing, been making virtual choirs over the last year. And in fact, just before our call, I was just getting emailed parts from my choirs that we're putting together for our. Oh, I'm so our, sorry. Uh, our, there's our choir at the moment. No, there's such <laughs> a okay. pain. I'm getting someone else to edit it. It's fine. Good, good, good. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. But the the, the first virtual choir um, was not born out of necessity, but it was just born out of. Um, an email or a YouTube video, and you just kind of followed followed the thread to to create um, Virtual Choir One. That's exactly right. It was uh, a young woman named Britlin Losey. She was 17 at the time, and she was living in New York. She uploaded to YouTube a fan video to me, and she didn't know me. She just sent it out like this electronic message in a bottle, and it found me, and. In the video, she says, hi, Mr. Whitaker, I'm a big fan, and here's something I'd like to make for you. And then she pressed play on her CD player, and a piece that I'd written called Sleep started to play. And she just sang the soprano line over the top of it. Just this, this lovely little gift that she sent out into the world. And, you know, like a five-year-old, I just had this very simple idea, which was, you know, if you could get 25 people to do what Britlin is doing, if they just sang their part, soprano, alto, tenor, bass, as long as everyone was singing in the same key and at the same tempo. My big idea, honest to God, was just if they upload all those videos to YouTube and I open them all in different browsers and then just hit play as close together as I possibly time. Yeah, then, then this, <laughs> this choir would unfold. It was that simple. Mm. And I, uh, it never even occurred to me that anybody else would want to see this. Do you know what I mean? Like, we, uh, yeah, it was yeah. just, just, I think this would work. It was that simple. And it wasn't until the first one was made and we uploaded it to YouTube and it went viral that I was looking at it and thinking, oh, there's, there's actually something much, much more poetic about this, this genre, if you will, than just, just you know, the nuts and bolts of putting together videos. Yeah, that work. yeah. It's not, it, it's not just the cleverness of the format. Exactly. That, um, that in fact, what you do is you see all of these, these people separate like, like the modern world is now even pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. But then again, coming together simply to make something beautiful, simply to be part of something larger than themselves. It speaks to the very best of humanity. 
which I also think choir does and singing does. It's it's um, it's really the best yeah, of who tell, we are. T- tell me about, tell me about that. I mean, I I will just nod and agree with you, but these words need to be said. I think yeah. So yeah, bringing out the best in humanity. Well, yeah, especially when it comes to singing, it's um, there's there's something about well, okay, two things popping in my mind. The first is this that. One of, the, one of the joys that I get when making these virtual choirs is I get to see literally thousands and thousands of singers uploading their videos to me before we edit them. The latest one we did had over 17,000 singers from 129 countries. Right, yeah, I'd like to come on to talk about that a bit later. Sing gently, yeah. Sing gently. And so I, I try to sample as many of them as I can. But one of the things that I get to see that, that no one gets to see in the finished product is I get to see everybody sitting in front of their microphone and getting ready to start singing. And you see people, they're adjusting their hair. Sometimes people are putting on makeup. They're, you know, making sure the clothes are okay. And what everybody does is they are, they're quietly wearing the mask that we, that we move through the world every day with. You know, just this mm. kind of way of holding oneself and, and this countenance that is, that's, that's a little separate from their essential self. And then what happens is, my little conductor track starts and you can see in their eyes, okay, here they go, here they go. And they take that first breath and you see all of that drop away in that breath. It just goes away. And mm. immediately you see just the person's essential self. And I swear in doing this for 11 years, watching thousands of videos, all I ever see in that moment is just goodness. It's just good. People, I believe in my soul, are essentially good. They want to do good. They want to be part of something beautiful. And so I get to witness that kind of thing. And the second thing that makes me think about singing is related to that, is there's this thing that happens when you sing together in a choir, and anybody who has sung in a choir knows this feeling well, that the conductor lifts their arms. You take that first breath, and it's not just that you're breathing at exactly the same time, which already is an extraordinary phenomenon. You know, you can get any group of... Yeah, and... And that thing about synchronizing heartbeats at the same time. Oh, and Yeah, that's right. There's a physiological <laughs> component. Mind-blowing. Yeah, the body yeah. wants to, to work together with other people. Mm. It wants to do this. Right. But that in that moment, when you take that breath with the other people in the room, it, there are terabytes of emotional information that are being communicated between each other and at the same time. And it's, I know of nothing else like it in the human experience that can unify a group of people faster then that first breath and then starting to sing. It's unbelievable how it, everybody locks in that moment. And to me, that speaks to the best of what we can be as a society, as a group of humans. I find it so beautiful yeah. and magical. And, and that's definitely something that came across in Sing Gently, which was the, your sixth virtual choir video, um, which last year was in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have all those elements coming together, but also just the, the text as well, you know, just, that idea of singing gently as one, you know, just so powerful, so powerful. Um, I wonder if you could maybe talk a little bit about the writing process for that, because I mean, this must have been, you know, very, very unusual for you in that I guess you're writing a piece where you, the first time you'll actually hear it back sung by people is not by people in the room, but <laughs> by voices in the virtual yeah, choir. Right. Uh, there's, I imagine there's the, the kind of the pressure of how am I going to, write a piece for these times. I mean, mm. you know, how, how can we even start to address that? But I think you did it in such a beautiful, beautiful way. 
And if I say understated, it, that that's a, a real compliment. Thank you. Um, um, so I just wonder if you could just talk a little bit about that, because obviously we see the final product, the you know the final piece, the the beautiful jigsaw effect of all the singers coming together, all seventeen thousand of them. <laughs> but I can see your piano there in the background. I guess mm. that's where the piece started. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah, yeah, right here in my garage. So I I think like everybody on earth, the the there was the initial hint that something was happening, right? Like, my yeah. God, this sounds bad. And then you remember it was almost hour by hour as the news uh, feed yeah. was coming in like, oh, oh God, this is really bad. And then, oh mm. my God, this is, we're actually <laughs> shutting down the world. Now it's, this is yeah. what we do. But at the time, you remember a year ago? Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. shocking. And, and I think on top of that, which is just the, the, the shock of that this could happen to all of us mm. is that you remember there were all these news reports about uh, there were singers in choirs who had contracted it and were dying. Ah, uh, yes. Right. Yes, that's right. Right? So suddenly... There's, it, there's a particularly big one in the States, wasn't there? That's right. In, in, I think up in yeah. Seattle. And, and yeah. that now singers were branded as super spreaders. Super spreaders, right? yeah. And, you know, I can't think of a more benign, benevolent art form especially then community singing, right? Where, where there's, exactly. just, there's not even money involved. It's just people that just want to, it's, it couldn't be more good. And now, mm. now this. And so added to my shock of the moment was, was uh, I, I was really worried. And frankly, still am worried in that, that this, the, the kind of isolation that we're talking about, the, the literal isolation and then the poetic isolation that's happening is exactly the kind of thing that can truly divide people. It starts to make people suspicious, starts to make people fearful, and you can feel uh, the, the fabric of society start to really tear at the seams mm. um, in obvious and less obvious ways. And it was what was born from that then is we all talked, and when I say we, I mean myself and Claire Long and Meg Davies, who are the executive producers of the Virtual Choir project and the beating heart of it, and the brains, mm -hmm. I should say. It just wouldn't happen if it weren't for the two of them. And, and the first thing we said was, if there was ever a time to make a Virtual Choir, it was now. So, yeah. you know, it's the thing, kind of thing we could have never imagined 10 years ago that, oh, this is mm. the only way we can make music together now. Yeah. Um, at least you've done the groundwork. Yeah. <laughs> Nine years of experience, you knew what you were doing. Yeah, actually, that, and that really came in handy. But like you said, this was the very first piece that I'd written specifically for a virtual choir. Before, I'd always used a piece that I'd written previously, mm -hmm. and then we, had, we adopted it for the virtual choir. And so knowing that I was going to make it, I, I love that you used the word understated. I, um, because part of that was an artistic choice, which is not to be maudlin, not to be overwrought not to be it's just to try to find the the right message that people needed L less than here's a thing i need to express but more here's what people need to hear exactly because it'd be easy to go to kind of either extreme like something like you say that's particularly you know kind of maudlin or tugging on the heartstrings or something that's at the other end just kind of just incredibly kind of angry or you know yeah that's right um Right, and so you're writing a piece that people needed to hear, yeah. Yeah, and then and the, that message, those that. are the first words that I wrote down were sing gently, and and this idea that, that the singing is just a metaphor for the way we need to be with each other now, that it's compassion and it's empathy that will be the glue that, that 
heals all these broken shards. And um, I mean, I believe that now today more than ever. Um, so, but it all happened at lightning speed. I'm, I'm a very, very slow composer. I'm uh, meticulous and I procrastinate and it's, again, not to be modeling, but it's a torturous affair for me. Mm. Um, and we knew that because of the, the process of making one of these things, I had to write really quickly. So I wrote the piece probably in a week, which for me is, wow. is not a comfortable amount of time to, to write mm. in. Um, but I just, I, I thought, okay, here's, here's what needs to be said. Let's make this. And then the team went into the production and pre preparing to launch the thing. And then we were just amazed by the, by the, the response. And one of the things we've always strived for with virtual choir is for them to be inclusive. We've never turned down a single singer in 11 years. And we, we've had singers as young as three and as old as 103. Yeah. And this time around, we had over two dozen blind singers. So they, they downloaded Braille sheet music, which was... I was reading about this and I was just thinking, this is just amazing. This is it's just beautiful. fantastic. It's, so it's, it's everything that's good about choir, right? We had deaf signers mm. and there's even a, a really robust community of cystic fibrosis sufferers. And people with cystic fibrosis literally can't ever be in a room together with another cystic fibrosis sufferer. They might exchange bacteria, it can be fatal. So the only way they can actually sing together is virtually. These are all things I couldn't have possibly imagined 10 years ago. No. And every one of those stories makes it, it just makes my heart glow. And, and the music itself, um, you know, is, is such a real, is a real balm for the soul as a, as a lot of your music is, Eric. And um, I don't know, it, there are so many moments in that where we have those real kind of goosebump chords or I don't know if they're called Eric Whittaker chords or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like Leonard Cohen about the, her, there was a secret chord, like, what's your secret chord? <laughs> but um, it'd be interesting just to hear a little bit about that because that, you know, that is so integral i think to well to your music but also to the intention of that piece listening to it those those moments of that kind of beautiful tension and and release uh, and the swell is that something that you approach in a kind of an analytical way or in a kind of a an emotional way like or is that just something that just comes comes with the writing process mm. well first thank you for saying all of that i um boy how do you even describe it so I, I think at my core, I'm just a profoundly emotional person. I really wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm Californian, so that doesn't help either. You know? <laughs> just, I, I view, no, it helps. It helps. <laughs> well, I, just, I view the lens, the world through the lens of, of mm. just pure emotion. And what I've worked over the years to do in terms of creating music is to focus as much as possible on the structure itself. And I've even developed this little technique that I call emotional architecture. The basic idea is that before I write a note of music, I, I, I sketch out on, on paper the shape, the emotional journey that I want the audience and the performers to go on. Fascinating. So I, I think what's happened to me over the years is the compositional process and probably my life has become about trying to shape my emotional world into a way that I can effectively communicate with other people. Mm. Um, and, and Sing Gently was very much that. I was feeling so much, but then I love that you said understated, that 
that mm. for me, my artistic goal always is what are the fewest number of notes required yeah. to say the most? And what to, I need to say. And to yeah, say, yeah, the, exactly. the deep, yeah, all of my favorite mm. artists are the ones who just could just with just a single gesture, uh, say as much as you could in volumes mm -hmm. of, of writing. Um, so yeah, I guess that's, that's how that piece got made. Yeah. Amazing. It kind of made me think of that, that wonderful Brett quote, you know, in the dark times, will there be singing? Yes. They'll be singing about the dark times. <laughs> ah, that's amazing. Um, yeah. It's a great quote. And, and, and in fact, what sing gently has is an incredible lightness. But it is also at the same time reflecting these, you know, the, these these dark times that that we're living in. So, it 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 felt like a really, yeah, a really important thing. You no, know, it's it's more than just the music. It's the symbolism. It's the coming together of everybody, and then just resolving at the end on on that unison note on the word one. That, yeah, that which brilliant. You must have been pleased when you when you came up with that. <laughs> Well, thank you for noticing it. I love that, James, that you see it. Yeah, so, so the, the, um, the, the, the metaphors are, are pretty clearly built into the music. So it starts um, in unison also, right? So the altos and sopranos start on that single G, sure, yeah. and then they immediately split away. So the idea is, here's mm. who we are, and we split away. And then they spend yeah. the entire piece trying to come back together, and then finally yes. are, are reunified. That's, that's right. And, I, I, I right. and that was all part of your kind of emotional architecture of the piece. Yeah, very, very much so. And it's, yeah. so that's the kind of thing that I discovered over the years that, so in the unemotional way that, that in terms of constructing a piece of music, it's very, very much like building a house. And I think what I used to do is I want to build a house. All right, I'll start with the doorway. Great. Now let's walk through the doorway. I guess we're going to need a foyer. Great. We've got a foyer. Better put a chair over there. Terrific. How about a kitchen off to the left? Great. And, but then you realize, oh my God, but that door doesn't add up. And I actually, that style is and and so, so you build this Frankenstein house, if you know what I mean, that's, that doesn't really connect to the rest sure. of the house. It's, it's got all the component parts, but it's not a whole. Precisely. Yeah. There's not a, there's mm. not a, and the, the, the composers that I admire most, even though the, their musical style is different than mine is say for instance, Bach, where Bach takes a single simple idea and that's the governing principle of the entire piece. And that requires a kind of restraint and focus and confidence in mm. the material um, that I, I find just masterful. Not that I'm remotely comparing myself to Bach, but he, <laughs> it's, uh, he, he's, he's a mountaintop example of artists that I look up to. Yeah, and, and I get a sense, there's a really, you, you draw from a really um, broad palette of, of music because I know that you're equally passionate, like you said, about the music of Journey Mitchell and Stevie Wonder, who are two of my absolute all-time oh, yeah. idols in every way. Um, but also, you know, artists like, you know, you've, you've worked with Laura Mvula. Um, you know, your singers have covered, you know, Trent Reznor. And I think that's, that's just so refreshing to see because, um, you know, it, it's very easy, I think, with lots of facets of life, but particularly music and singing for there to be these very kind of tight almost insular worlds, mm. you know, that are only kind of self-referential. And I think what's what's so magical about your music and your approach, Eric, is that you're just so all-encompassing and you just kind of bring in what you want to bring in. And that at the same and, and at the same time, that then brings more people into into the singing experience because I think they hear those resonances. 
Oh, I love that. I, I love that you point that out, James. That, yeah, for, for me, I think it, it, it personally it happened because I came to classical music so late. I never had this sense right. that classical music is on a pedestal. You know, that classical music is extraordinary and is beautiful and deep, and but so is Joni Mitchell, and so is Paul Simon, mm. and so is, exactly. you know, so, you, so is Hamilton. That, that they're just different, different languages for the same level of genius. Um, mm. and, and yeah, especially, I'm, I'm always struck where this is something in classical music training, which maybe you experience yourself, which is that you're, there's kind of an academic way of teaching classical singing, which is this is the right way to sing mm -hmm. and everything else is kind of the wrong way to sing. And I think, well, that can't be true. I listen to Ella Fitzgerald and that is absolutely the right way to sing, right? Yeah. That, Period. That's the way. But then Joni mm. Mitchell. That's also the right way to sing. Uh, Mick Jagger. That's the right way to that's sing. The right way to like, sing. Yeah. Right. Or Tom Waits. Or like, Tom that's Waits. Right way to that's sing. exactly yeah. right. Because ultimately, what you're trying to do is simply communicate at, on a mm. deep level, and every one of those singers does that. And what I love specifically about singing with choir then is you bring in your own fingerprint. You know, each each person's voice is such a unique fingerprint. Um, mm. It is who they are, and it's it's a measure of of not only their their unique makeup as a person, but also the life they've lived. When I listen to Ella Fitzgerald, right, you can hear it. You can really you hear every road. Billie Holiday, you hear every every mm. tragedy, every moment, and then you bring that together in a room, and it truly is the sum of its parts being greater than yeah. the whole. It's this magical thing that happens, and I don't find this with other groups of instruments. It doesn't matter what it is. I love no. orchestras, I love strings, I love rock bands, I love electronic ensembles, but there's something about the magic of a group of singers singing together mm -hmm. where it creates a complexity of, of human intention that is unparalleled, I think. Yeah, I absolutely agree because <clears throat> a bit like you, my kind of, my singing kind of um, eureka moment wasn't until my early to mid twenties now, so I spent, university playing uh, trombone in orchestras and big bands huh. and soul bands, which, which is great, really great fun. But it just did not have that kind of level of kind of just human impact and musical impact and all these layers that you get mm. when you're singing, you know. And it's sometimes it feels artificial to try and step back and, an, and analyze it because because it's just, it, it's it's a kind of a gut feeling, isn't it? And um, yeah, but I'm, I'm so glad that I, that I did find it. <laughs> How beautiful that you have um, that experience. Um, do you still play, by the way? Do you still play trombone? Do you know what? I haven't played it for a while, Eric. Huh. I, 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 one day, I think, it, it's just, yeah, I, I, I definitely will do. But I think I just got to the point with the trombone where, uh, you know, I'd kind of studied it through university and it just became, it kind of became head over heart, you know, I became too mm. analytical with it. Yeah. And it was actually when I was 23 and I was in, in West Africa and Ghana playing in street bands and and it was incredible. And I actually had a kind of a eureka moment, um, not about singing, but just about about the role of music and, and its importance and, and that it is actually about contributing to your community, being part of a bigger whole and using, using your instrument or your voice to express yourself. And I find that really, really liberating, like in that moment. I remember I had one voice in my head saying, oh, you're using really dreadful technique here, James. You're really pressing on and your ombush is terrible. And then I'm like, look around you. You're in this huge crowd in West <laughs> Africa. People are going crazy. This is just incredible. And so that that was a real kind of flicking a switch moment huh. for me. And I think um, I think that that is perhaps something that, that that is preventing more people from engaging 
in singing in that they think it is something that is very kind of analytical. It's about getting it right or wrong. It's about putting yourself on a pedestal. And um, and, I, and, and I'm not saying that there's not, it's not important that we have kind of excellence and, and, and traditions, but at the same time, singing is so fundamental to our being human that any ways that we can open up that experience to more people, you know, whether it's through virtual choirs or through, you know, sending out braille um, song sheets is just, is just so important. Yeah, I, I so agree. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating because I'll hear people all the time say to me, um, I can't sing. I'm tone deaf. Mm -hmm. No, I got a terrible voice. And when you start to peel it apart and you ask, why do you feel this way? It's, it's almost always a single time that they were told that they have a terrible voice. Exactly. And usually, tragically, it's, it's when they were children. Right, and either a teacher or a parent or somebody just says, you know, oh, don't sing. And I think the reason for that is it's like like we talked about it being your fingerprint. There is nothing more fundamental to who you are than your voice. Right. And so if somebody says you've got a bad voice, it's almost like they're saying you've, you. It's it's a you're a bad person. Yeah, it's a it's a character. It's worse than a character. It's deeper than that. And I think that that is so damaging to a person that they, you only really need to hear that once. Even adults who hear it from their kids, you know, mommy, please don't sing. It's like, okay, that's, you, you <laughs> develop this self-view that you can't sing. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah, have yeah. yet to meet, in all my travels anywhere, I've yet to meet somebody who's actually tone deaf. You know, apparently it's like a one in a million phenomenon, somebody who is clinically yeah, tone deaf. Yeah, amusia, isn't it? Amusia is the condition. Yeah, amusia. Yeah, is, it's so yeah, rare. Yeah. It's, it, and and very, generally very what happens is people just don't have any experience with it. They, they just need a little bit exactly. of experience. And what I'm always telling people as an evangelist is, this is why you sing in a choir, is because you never have to sing alone. That's the point, you never have to be a soloist. And I'm not a good singer. <laughs> You'd think being in choirs, I'm not a good singer. Um, but this is why I adore choirs so much, is that then I'm carried a, a, along by the... Right. With everybody That's else. right, yeah. That, and. Mm. It's, it's okay within the context of a choir to not be a perfect singer. In fact, that's, that's the beauty of a being a choir. Yeah, exactly. And, and actually, my experience, people who come into choral settings as kind of really experienced and confident solo singers actually then find it much harder to, to blend in, into the group setting. You know, it's really interesting. And, and often people might say to me, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I feel I'm, I'm quite an introvert or I'm quite shy. Like I'm not sure I've been in a choir is the best way. And actually it's often those people who really start to shine through and, and yep. get all that support that they That's need. That's been my experience and as well. It's amazing. And these are things that we know because we've been involved in singing a long time. Um, but it was really fantastic to see that in 2019, there was a, a study, an academic study into those people who've been participating in virtual choirs and have, you know, found that it has a similar level of the kind of health and what, you mm -hmm. know, uh, well-being benefits, mental health benefits as in-person singing. And this was less than a year before the pandemic hit. Yeah. Um, could you maybe tell us a little bit about that? Because I find that really, really exciting. Because obviously it's one thing to know it for ourselves and to be uh, evangelical about it, which we are both. But it's another thing for it to be, you know, kind of there in kind of black and white scientific, you know, uh, evidence. Yeah, it's, it's extraordinary, actually. So we worked for years with uh, uh, Dr. Davey, Daisy Fancourt. Uh, she's a brilliant researcher. And, and initially, she took my professional choir, the Eric Whitaker Singers, based in London. And, you know, she wired us all up and took saliva samples during rehearsals, during performances. We even took saliva samples from an audience during a concert and did a, a 
deep study which basically confirmed what we all know, which is singing and listening to singing is good for you. <laughs> there's there's mm -hmm. these very obvious physiological effects that are profound actually, but but we we kind of intuitively know that. You know, you just you, you go to a rehearsal singing with choir, you come home, you just feel better. Yeah. What we were not remotely prepared for is that finding that you're talking about, which is that the benefits of singing in a virtual choir are almost exactly the same. The physiological benefits of singing in a virtual choir. Um, and so much of that has to do with a sense of um, belonging, of being part yeah. of a community. Uh, yeah. that, that, that is such a powerful and important component in your physical health. And that's what I realize now after 11 years of doing these virtual choirs, the music is really secondary. The singing is secondary to a virtual choir. It's the, mm. the, the, the finding your tribe and building community part that is, that's the real magic of a virtual choir. Yeah, absolutely. And more and more important in these times where we know that, that loneliness is one of the kind of chronic kind of social problems of, of the 21st century. Mm. And so it's just fantastic to know that we've got that kind of solid, um, you know, backup to what, what we know intuitively um, as singers. And um, in, your, in your TED talk in 2011, you said something that was really, really prophetic, which I'm just going to read back now, which is um, talking about people who in, in the virtual choir saying these souls on the desert islands <clears throat> sending electronic messages in bottles to each other. I mean, come on. <laughs> Did I really say that? Souls on desert yeah. islands? Yeah. It, yeah. I'll tell you, you know, something funny about that TED talk, just on a really personal level, that I didn't prepare it wasn't that I was procrastinating. It's that I sort of had a basic idea what I would say. And then I just let up there, got up there and let the moment carry, carry it. And so even you reading back to me, I think, wow, that... Did I say that? Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I think it's not about me as a speaker, but more just the fact that I, it came completely from a place of inspiration. That I just mm. knew what I believed and I stood up and said it out loud. And then it's, it's funny to hear it back. Um, yeah, I... God knows I didn't intend to be prophetic at the time. I, I <laughs> well, yeah, like say two two thousand you know, twenty 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 one. You know, um, there've been so many souls sending those electronic uh, messages to <laughs> each other in virtual choirs. I mean, you know, across the world. I mean, uh, that must have been an amazing thing for you to see that unfold. Obviously, you would, you know, the circumstances. None of us would have wished that, but you know, I guess you for a while you kind of couldn't move for virtual choir videos online. Yeah, and finding I'll, t I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what the watching it has been incredibly, uh, it, it, it's bittersweet for me because as you say, it's thousands and thousands of virtual choirs all over the world. And so the bittersweet part is I'm, I'm so happy that people have a way to connect and that mm -hmm. somehow we're keeping the flame alive, which I think is important. Yeah. I, I worry so much, especially in educational settings about you know, singers and whole music programs uh, just dropping out and stopping to make music. Mm. And so I, I do think that it's helping to keep that, that flame alive. What I really worry about is that, that especially administrators and maybe even some teachers, are, but especially administrators and politicians are looking at it and thinking, oh, this is great. This sounds terrific. You know, when we get back post-pandemic, we don't need to have choir meet in person anymore. We'll just do it virtually now. We'll replace that in our curriculum. Mm. And it's amazing to me that people could say something like that. I believe that what we're seeing now is the first generation of administrators and politicians who didn't 
have any music education when they were growing up. Mm. And so they have no sense of the power of, yeah. of making music together. And it really worries me. It really worries me that, that anybody could see the virtual choir as a replacement for simply getting together in a room and singing because there's, there's nothing more, more magical or pure than that experience. Mm. There's a couple of questions uh, we're, we're going to wrap up with, Eric. Yes, please. I really do appreciate your time so much. First question is, well, it's not really a question. It's just a, a, a request, really. We have a, a podcast playlist and every guest chooses one piece of music or one song that's special to them. This is a terrible question to ask anyone, especially a musician. <laughs> but I wonder what, <laughs> what, we could, what we could add for you, Eric. Yeah, it's funny because I have, there's literally a dozen Stevie Wonder songs <laughs> no, that are uh, they're my go-to for, for just changing my day. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I can actually reset my entire day with a single song, but the one that I think works every time is I Wish. Uh, and it's, A, it's gotta be the, the best bass groove in the history of, of music. Exactly. It's, it's my son, I've got a 15 year old son who's a jazz bass player. And so um, he taught my wife how to play it. And, and it's just amazing. It just has, it has that physical mm. effect where you just put it on and yeah. 10 seconds into it, you're just in a different place. So I, I guess yeah. that's, that, that would be my offering. Have you ever met Stevie or worked with Stevie? I'll tell you the funniest Stevie Wonder story. So I was in the Apple store here in Los Angeles. This was years ago. And um, I'm waiting for, you know, I put my name in or whatever and waiting for somebody to come back over and talk to me. Mm. And I look over and they're standing in front of one of the Macs using an accessible Mac is Stevie Wonder. It's just in a Mac store. Nobody's talking to him. He's just, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And the, the guy came up and I, the, the, um, the salesperson came up and I said, is that Stevie Wonder? And he said, oh yeah, he comes in all the time. He's a big Mac fan and you know, he loves the accessible tools and everything. So he was just coming in there with some questions about his Mac. And, wow. and so, oh, goodness. so I went up, I mean, you know, like I, uh, I really, I tried, I never do this in my real life, but I just went up and, and said, you know, Mr. Wonder, and he was very kind. I said, I just have to tell you, I, I, I you know, yeah. you're my hero. You're my, thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. You couldn't have been sweeter, more generous. Oh my goodness. Um, so, so that's, that's my Stevie Wonder story. That's great. Do you know what? I, that's the difference between living in North Wales and LA. I don't <laughs> Stevie Wonder in my local uh, shop. <laughs> oh, and just, just as a little slightly geeky musical note, I, have you heard the live version of I Wish where they just have those really outrageous cuts with the horns at the end? Are you talking the one in Japan? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. In I think it's in oh. Tokyo, right? It's yeah, the I've I've seen I've seen his band a couple of times and the first time they did it I was just I just couldn't contain myself. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> literally like ah, right? It's so good. so good. It's so that's another it's song so too. Good. So apparently, you know the the genesis of that not to not to go off here on the podcast, but apparently the genesis was no, that fine. that he was at a, a record company lunch or something. And he got to talking with somebody about the good old days, you know, and then was inspired mm. to go down and, and wrote a song either that afternoon or the next day. And then they recorded it really quickly. And the only reason I bring all that up is because you listen to it now and it's like, it sounds like that band has been touring that song for five years, yeah. right? Those horns are tight. Yeah, yeah, everything is just so loose and integrated. And it just, it's like, you can't even imagine that this was something everybody was like, okay, now you do this, now you do that. Great, everybody got it? Okay, let's go home. It's, wow. it's a level of, of effortless, intuitive musicianship that is, I just think it's unparalleled. Yeah. 
Love Stevie. That that might have um, encouraged me to get my trombone back out of my loft. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Play those horn lines nice, again. Nice, yeah. nice, Great. I will definitely add Stevie to the playlist. Who else we got in the playlist? We've got Nina Simone on there. We've got John Martin. Oh, we've got some great stuff. Thank you. That is a brilliant addition, Eric. A good, Thank you. A good list. Uh, and then the last question is about life lessons from singing. I mean, you've given us so many today, but if you could take one life lesson from singing, what would it be? Hmm. My God, there's so many. There's a book in this. <laughs> I'll tell you the, the the first one that pops into my mind, and it's it's so powerful, is that um, so I can remember being in my college choir, uh, and we sang a number of pieces that were incredibly emotional for us. You know, where we would you have to fight back tears as you're singing, um, and how important those pieces were, and how bonded I felt with the other singers. And I remember one time the conductor, David Weiler, this man who changed my life, he just very quietly sat us all down and he said, when this, when this arises in you, when you have this feeling that you're, you're going to lose it, that you're going to cry, you can't do this. And here's the reason why. This isn't for you. This is for them. It's for the people who are listening. And it, it, it so dramatically changed my whole worldview. Like that, that, and it's been, it's, it's framed my whole career afterwards, which is that how can I be of service? Not what am I trying to express? What does this mean to me? How can I be of service? Just that little change has been, it's, it's meant everything to me. And that came through singing. Um, I'm so grateful wow. that he said that. And it made it into Sing Gently as well. May our singing be music for others and may it keep others aloft. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. You couldn't have said it better. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, beautiful. That is, that is just so beautiful. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, James. It's been a lovely hour, truly. Thank you so much to Eric. I felt so energized and so inspired after our conversation. It felt like speaking to an old friend. I really, really appreciate him taking the time to speak to me. And thanks also to Meg Davies for setting up the conversation. If you go to the show notes, you'll find a link to Sing Gently, the virtual choir video that Eric and I were talking about, featuring 17,000 people from around the world. I've also put a link to Eric's TED Talk, where you can find him talking about the very first virtual choir video back in 2010. And there's also a link to Eric's website, where you can find out more about him and his music. Also in the show notes, you'll find the link to the Spotify playlist that accompanies this podcast. I invite each guest to choose one song from the playlist, and there you'll find them, including Eric's choice of I Wish, by the great Stevie Wonder. What a brilliant choice. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, consider sharing with friends and family or your networks to help spread the word about Eric's music and also spread the word about singing and why it's so, so good for us. And it's what we need right now. A rate and a review on Apple Podcasts is always appreciated. And again, it helps me to get the word out. I've also put links in the show notes to my social media handles on my website. I love to hear from listeners of the podcast. 
and hearing about how your lives have been transformed by singing. So do get in touch, keep smiling, keep singing, and keep listening to This Is Why We Sing. Bye for now. Thank you.